Well, I want to start this morning by saying thank you to James for your willingness to go off script, because that was great. Um, And I think the Spirit was at work there, because as I've been preparing for this message today, uh, what we've been doing through our whole summer series is we're we're taking a a question or an issue that we're faced today and saying, okay, what does... Jesus have to say about that. And so I'm going to do that in just a minute. I'm going to introduce a problem or a question, uh, and then I'm going to try, to try to answer that. And it was one of those things where I've got this, I, got, I have the solution in my head, in a sense. Like, I know what the Bible says about this. I know what I want to say to you, but I can't find the right words to say it. And then James just got up here and said exactly what I wanted to say. Um, so keep that in mind as we go through the message, because I think that's, that's not an accident, that God through his spirit was, was saying some things through James there that uh, I think are very relevant to what we're talking about today. But to start to introduce the problem or the question, I'm going to start with a little bit of my own story um, and, and how my own faith in God developed. And I'm going to think back to when I was in junior high and maybe my early high school years, and it was a time that I went through some struggles in my relationship with God. I remember thinking about God because I had been taught about him my whole life. And I was afraid. You see, I knew God was powerful. I knew that I was supposed to obey God. And I knew that God knew everything about me. In fact, there was probably a sense in which I thought of God a little bit like we think of Santa Claus in some of our Christmas songs when we say that he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good, for goodness sake. And so the thought of a God that could see my every action was scary because I knew that I wasn't always good. I wasn't perfect. There were things that I did wrong. Sometimes I did those things wrong on purpose. And sometimes I worried that even though I was trying to do the right thing, maybe I just didn't always know what the right thing was, and maybe that wasn't good enough. And so I knew that I broke God's rules, and I was afraid. I was afraid of punishment. And in the years since then, my relationship with God has changed. I've come to realize that my understanding of God at the time was, in a sense, faulty. It's not necessarily that those things about God were wrong. It's that my understanding of God was incomplete. There was a whole other side of God that I was missing. You could say that the primary lens through which I was seeing God was the lens of religion. And so that's what we're talking about today, is what does Jesus have to say about this question that we have in our world today where people are skeptical about the idea of religion? And religion is a difficult word to define. There's a lot of different ways we could do that, but one definition that I found that I think fits with with the issue or the question that we have today, 
is its definition of religion as a system of designated behaviors and practices and morals. And that was the lens through which I saw God. If you had asked someone around me, maybe my parents or some of the people at my church when I was in junior high, if you had said, is Dustin a good kid? They probably would have said yes. I think I did pretty well at obeying the rules. I knew the religious side. I knew the verses I was supposed to memorize. I knew the rules I was supposed to keep. I knew what kind of moral standard I was supposed to uphold. And so I did. I I went to church every Sunday. I went to youth group every Friday. I prayed and I read my Bible every day because I knew I was supposed to. And yet, even though I would have been called a good kid, I still had this religious view of God that left me afraid because I was afraid of that one little slip-up, that one little stumble that I might have had that God would see and he would punish me for it. I know that questions like this are not ones that I hold alone. Uh, The word religion, I think, has become somewhat of a dirty word for many, especially in recent years. Um, I know that when I'm on my phone or on my computer and looking at social media, it's pretty common to see all sorts of criticisms of religion. Uh, Whether I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, Snapchat, Reddit, Pinterest, whatever it is, you're going to find people that are criticizing the idea of religion. And I think for many, that criticism, it mirrors my own struggles. People tend to associate religion primarily with rules and primarily with fear. For others, however, it may be that they associate religion simply with meaningless routine. Perhaps they've grown up saying the Lord's Prayer every day and doing some other religious acts, going to Mass at Christmas, But besides these occasional religious acts, they realize that their lives are no different than anyone else. They've never been changed by an encounter with a living God. There are many that I know that participate in these sorts of routines that would readily admit that they don't actually believe in God at all. There are others who think of religion and they don't like it because they believe it results in an us versus them mentality. Our religion versus your religion. This religion versus the idea of no religion at all. We think of terrorism. We think of wars fought in the name of religion. And so this word religion is full of baggage. And increasingly, we live in a culture that is moving away from religion. Uh, This is especially true in what we would call the Western world. We're seeing the rapid growth of a group called the nuns. Not not like monks and nuns or whatever, but we're talking N-O-N-E-S. People who have no religious affiliation. Some of these may be atheists, 
But the fact is many of these people that are called nuns are simply agnostic. They neither claim belief nor disbelief in God. This group of nuns is growing so rapidly that if you were to consider it a religion, it would be now the second biggest religious group in North America. Um, and just from my own experience, when I look around, I look at many of my friends from high school uh, who grew up in Christian homes. I look at um, the people I looked up to as, as preachers and authors at the time. Uh, and I know many of them have joined this group. There was um, headlines just this last week about a pastor that Joshua Harris, some may know, some may not, um, who I grew up reading his book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Um, and it was kind of one of those books that every, every good Christian read when I was in high school. Uh, and just this last week, he came out and said, yeah, I don't believe anymore. Um, and unfortunately, that's just an all-too-common thing. Turns out, though, that this question, this conflict between our ideas of religion and the rest of our culture, it's not a new question. It's not a new issue. It's something that Jesus dealt with as well. And so that's what we want to do today, is look at what Jesus has to say uh, about the idea of religion. And so we're going to turn to John chapter 15. If you have one of these Bibles in the chair in front of you, I'm on page 764. And I'm going to read beginning in verse 9. Jesus here says this, As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for I know everything I learned from the Father and I have made it known to you. I want us to notice that this passage begins, uh, it begins with an assurance of God's love for us. That God loves his people. And this theme is one that we could find in so many places throughout the Bible. This idea that God loves his people in an unconditional way. It's most famously expressed in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Or perhaps we could look at Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's this idea that God's love is not dependent on what we do. God knows that we make mistakes. And even in the face of our worst mistakes, God still loves us. 
little different than my idea of God in junior high. Jesus adds something else here, though, in John 15. He reminds us that his love is not just a generic love, it's deeply personal. If we look at verse 15, Jesus makes it clear, I have called you friends. Elsewhere throughout scripture, we're told frequently that God thinks of us as sons and daughters. We're his children. This is a personal love. If we continue reading, though, we do see something that, for me at least, at first seems to conflict. We read about God's expectations of us. He tells us that we are to keep his commands. That's how God knows that we love him. And the passage at times, to me, starts to sound a little bit like what my fear was initially, that I need to keep God's commands if I'm going to be loved by him. And so we need to be careful here. We need to make sure we're really understanding what the passage is saying. Because it would be easy to hear Jesus' words and to assume that he's talking about some religious rules. Do this, don't do that. You better not make any mistakes or you'll be punished. But what Jesus gives us here is not a long list of commands. It's not like what we might find if we went to Leviticus or Deuteronomy. Instead, Jesus here, when he gives us his commands, gives us only one simple command. Love each other as I have loved you. You see, it's not that Jesus doesn't have some expectations for us. He does. But his emphasis here is flipped from what I might initially think. Rather than getting caught in the fine details of the law, Jesus is calling us to relationship. I love you, he says. You are my friends. You are my sons. You are my daughters. I love you, and I want you to love me too. I demonstrate my love for you by laying down my life for you and by continuing to love you even when you don't love me in return. And so, if you want to demonstrate your love for me, well, then I'm giving you away. You can start by loving each other. And so, yes, there are books of the Bible that are written Um, that come before these words of Jesus. And there are books of the Bible written after these words of Jesus, which contain all sorts of commands. And those are important. But we need to remember that the point is not that we follow these commands. No, the point is that God loved us, and we are to love him in return. And if we want to understand how to do that, well, then now we have some commands that show us how we can live that out. But that's not the starting point. The starting point is our relationship with God. His love for us, and then our love for him. (laughs) 
To give another example of this, I'm going to go a little bit earlier in the Gospel of John. We could go to John chapter 5. And I'm not going to read it exactly out of the scripture, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a paraphrase of the story. But you can definitely follow along if you would like. This is right at the beginning of John chapter 5. And it tells of a time when Jesus went to a pool called Bethesda. He went to this pool on the Sabbath day, the day on which no one was to work. And there was a man at this pool. This man was paralyzed and blind. And this had been true of him for 38 years, perhaps his entire life. And Jesus as he often does in the Gospels, heals the sick man. And when he does so, he says to this man, take up your mat, walk. And so what does the man do? Well, he's just been healed. He hasn't walked for 38 years. This is a good moment. He picks up his mat, he walks, he celebrates. He's excited. This is amazing. God has done something wonderful in his life. But there was a problem. Picking up your mat was forbidden. The religion of the day, the religious rules, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they had decided that since the Sabbath was the day set apart by God to be the day on which no one worked, well, that meant you couldn't pick up a mat. And so this man had not followed the letter of the law. You know, it's actually pretty easy for me to think about this story and to think how it would play in our world today. You imagine something wonderful happening. It's, there's no question. A man being healed after 38 years of not walking? This is amazing. This is incredible. And yet, what's the newspaper headline going to read? It's going to read that the religious leaders have crashed the party and said that this is unacceptable because they're nitpicking. They're finding some little detail something that's wrong. But Jesus' understanding is different. He had told the man to pick up the mat after all. Despite being God, despite being the one who had created these rules, he had told this man to do something different. It's because Jesus understood the purpose of the law. The Sabbath had been put in place by God for a few reasons. One being to show his love for his people. To give his people a day of rest. So that people would give those around them, give others a day of rest. And so that people could have a day to focus on the relationship with God. This central peace. This law was never intended to prevent a man from celebrating and praising God. No, it was designed so that people could do exactly that. And here's this man praising God. And instead, we're caught in the rules and preventing this man from doing so. There's a sense in which I know all of this gets pretty complicated. If we compare the two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have the Old Testament where people often ignored God's laws altogether. And this was a problem. 
It was a problem that stemmed from people turning away from God and worshiping literal idols, false gods. And it got them in a lot of trouble. But then in the New Testament, we have the Pharisees. They've rejected the idea of these idols. And they've said, no, we are going to follow God's rules. There's a sense in which this looks really good compared to what they were doing in the Old Testament. And yet it is a problem just as much. Because instead of making literal statues or the gods of other nations their idols, well, they have instead made religion, rules, and regulations their idols. And so this may seem complicated. It may seem like, hey, we've got a cliff on this side and we've got a cliff on this side and we're just trying to walk the narrow ridge between and we can't go this way or that way or we've missed it. It can seem really complicated, but back to what James was saying earlier, perhaps we've made it too complicated. Because there's a common problem in both of those cliffs that we can avoid The common problem is that we've put something else ahead of God. We've put our own desires ahead of God. We've put some rules ahead of God. But either way, we've lost focus of the real goal, which is focusing on our relationship with God. And so what I want us to do today to close is just to take a minute to imagine Because for many today, when we imagine a world dominated by religion, we think of something negative. We think of wars, we think of slavery, we think of oppression, we think of unnecessary rules. But let's imagine instead of a world full of people who were committed to loving God and to demonstrating that love by loving those around them. What would that look like? How would that be different? Our imagining can, can think great things about the future, but the fact is there are lots of times we can look back at the past as well and can aid our imagination by seeing the times that this actually has happened. When followers of Christ have built hospitals and built homeless shelters. Why? Because they loved God. And they wanted to show that love to those around them. And so when God's people truly pursue him, it shouldn't be hard to imagine a better world. A world where the hungry are fed. A world where the sick are healed. Where the lonely find a friend. Where we can start to move towards true peace. Take a minute to imagine that. Do that as you go home on your, in your car. Um, talk with your family. What would that look like? Imagine that together. And if that is a world we can get excited about, if that is a world that we want to see, then start by pursuing Christ. And you can start doing that by beginning to understand just how much he loves you. There's lots of ways you can do that, but 
I'll give you three really practical ways that, that you could start. One is you could read the Gospels. You can read the stories of Jesus, because I think if you read those enough, it's hard to miss just how much God loves people. You could also read a book like the book of Hosea. It's an Old Testament book that I think often gets forgotten, but it's the story that, that James was talking about earlier that, that I'm trying to tell us about, of this story of God's love for his people, um, of the amazing love that God has. So you could read the book of Hosea, or for me, the passage that I read that really helped me to, to come to get over my fear of God um, in the sense that I was just so afraid of him. And that's that I read Romans chapter 8. Um, and Romans chapter 8 is full of promises of just how great God's love is for us. So start with one of those. The Gospels, Hosea, Romans chapter 8. And then allow that love of God to work in you. Allow it to transform you. Allow God to transform you into someone who loves him, who is committed to him. Don't be afraid to take that step to say, yes, God, I love you. Commit yourself to him. Be baptized. Maybe these things sound like more rules or religious things, but the fact is when you love someone, you make commitments to them. And so do these things not because you want to be a rule follower, not because you want to be part of a religion, but do these things because you love God and because God loves you. Because you have and you desire a relationship with the creator of the universe, the one who does see you when you're sleeping, the one who does know when you're awake, but that's okay. Because he's not looking for every little wrong thing you do. It's a comforting thing because you know that he loves you and you know that he desires relationship with you. Would you pray with me? Our dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for your love. We thank you that you care so much for us, so much that you would even send your Son to die for us. And God, in a world that is skeptical of religion and sees all the downsides, we pray that we can be lights as we love you in return, as we understand how the things you have given us, the words you've given us in the Bible, the laws that you've given us, how they are there for a purpose, but that that purpose is to love you. And so God, give us wisdom, help us to understand the difficult and complex things in life, but also help us to see the simplicity of your love for us. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.